Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. When I first got here, there was a big discussion about how much we were standing up and sitting down, standing up and sitting down. And so there was a movement among the people say, can we just sit for that middle hymn? So it went to the session. They actually voted on that. And I said, and they, and I said I'm not going to make that decision. So if you're happy that you sit during the middle hymn, you can thank session. If you want to stand for that middle hymn, I guess you could if you wanted to. Or, but yeah, you know, okay. <laughs> so some of you have heard me tell this story before. Uh, uh, back way back when there was nothing on Coronado, uh, when Elisha Babcock and Hampton Story used to come over here and hunt rabbits. Uh, they decided one day that this would be a great place to develop a community uh, and build a, a world-class hotel. Um, and so uh, Babcock goes home to his wife, uh, Isabel, and says, Honey, Hampton and I are going to buy Coronado, and uh, we're going to build a community and a beautiful hotel. And she said to him, If you get a hotel, I get a church. And he said, Okay. And so as the hotel was being built, this sanctuary was being built. And they dedicated it in memory of her parents, John and Susan Graham. So, uh, and it is, it's a lovely, lovely sanctuary. And it, it, when, you, when, you, when you look at it, you look at the craftsmanship, and you, and you realize that this was built before they had power tools. Which is just, uh, I mean, it is just amazing. Uh, and so I, and I, I think the same thing about, uh, about the Kirk House. And, and I don't know if you've noticed when you walk by the, the Kirk House, but the, the two windows in my office and upstairs, the glass is curved. And those are double hung windows. Uh, and again, before power tools, the craftsmanship that, that, that goes into, actually, into building uh, anything. When you, when you look at stuff, I, I, I look at this little table right here, and, uh, and, I, and I love this little table. It looks, if, if you've never really t- taken a, a look at the table that the, the flowers are on, uh, uh, it's, it's got, you know, spindled legs that have been carved, and, uh, and, and what looks like, in fact, I had somebody come and ask to buy this, because he thought that the pieces down below looked like uh, billiard balls and pool cues, and he wanted to buy it and put it in his pool room. And I said, no, <laughs> but thanks for asking. But there's just intricate carving, and it's, just a, it's a lovely piece, uh, and I can appreciate that piece. I can appreciate uh, the craftsmanship that went into the development and the building of this sanctuary, but don't ask me to build a table. Don't ask me to build a sanctuary. Don't ask me to, to, to build and craft a fine piece of furniture. We can, we can love and appreciate. Thomas, come on in. Sit next to your wife. You don't have to stand there. Come on. We're just, we're just at home. Uh, uh, don't ask me to, to, to build it. If you, want, if you want something like that build, you go to a cabinet maker. And I actually thought about that when I was in high school because, uh, you know, some of you know, uh, that, that I'm uh, a little dyslexic, and I, you probably never could guess that I'm also a little ADD. Um, uh, but uh, uh, ADD, 
attention deficit disorder. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, and so I wasn't the greatest scholastic student. I, I was a shop kid. Uh, so I spent my time in wood shop. Uh, and I thought for a while that that's what I would do for a living. And I thought, well, you know, I, I will go and apprentice myself to a cabinet maker and, and learn how to make fine furniture. That, that's, what, uh, that's what you do these days if that's what you want to do. But instead, I joined the Navy and saw the world through a flapper valve. Uh, but I bring all that to your attention because there are things that we can look at and we can absolutely love that we would never be able to apply our own hands to. I think that for too many people, that's how they look at Jesus and the relationship that they have with Him. They love Jesus. And they're committed to Jesus. But they know very little about Jesus because they've not spent the time necessary to get to know Jesus. What is the Great Commission? Does anybody know? Somebody knows what the Great Commission is. Jesus' last words to the disciples in the book of Matthew, right before he ascends into the heavens, go, go into the world and Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I command you. We are called to make disciples. The challenge is that just like you cannot make a fine piece of furniture unless you have apprenticed yourself to a master carpenter, one cannot make disciples unless one already is a disciple. Yeah, ouch. If you have your Bibles, I would have you open them to the first chapter of John. <laughs> um, I've, 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 I've planned out my sermons all the way through March, and uh, you'll, be, you'll be happy to know that by the end of March, we'll be halfway through the third chapter of John. <clears throat> But this first chapter of John has so much rich theology in it. We learn so much about who Jesus is. Uh, as as we've, we talked about when we, when we first began this series at the beginning of the year, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. We talked about the Word, uh, both spoken and written and incarnate, and how important it is for us to have the Word of God as our external authority, but also at the same time recognizing that Jesus is the incarnate Word, that He is the Son of God, that He is God, very God of Himself. Fully human, fully divine. We learn these things as we work through John's prologue. And then uh, uh, we spent a couple of weeks looking at what it meant when the baptizer saw Jesus walking by and say to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I read recently a pastor asked a, 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 a a, a mature believer within uh, his congregation, what do you think about when you hear Jesus referred to as the Lamb of God? And the response was, well, I, he was gentle and kind. 
That's not the reference from, from, from John that John is trying to communicate. The Lamb of God that takes away the, the sin of the world. We're talking atonement theories. That's why we spent two weeks wrestling with understanding what it means that, that Jesus atones for our sin. That Jesus is at once that Lamb. Uh, you can liken it unto the Day of Atonement. But we also talked about the Lamb at Passover where we take the blood of the Lamb and apply it to the posts and lintels of our own hearts, and the angel of death passes over us, and we are delivered from slavery to sin. And we also talked about Jesus in the garden saying, Lord, if there be any other Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. Thinking that maybe there was going to be a substitute for him like there was for Isaac. But the ram was the substitute for Isaac. Jesus is our substitute. This is doing theology. This is thinking more deeply about who it is that we call Lord and Savior. And we need to have that that knowledge of, of who Jesus is to go alongside of the love that we have for him. There are too many people, and, and, and I, I was reading from a, a professor at Wheaton College. Wheaton College is uh, the Ivy League uh, Christian school in America. Uh, that, that, that's the, the, the reputation that they have. But these kids are coming from strong churches, and they love the Lord, but they have very little knowledge about the Lord. They couldn't tell you who came first, Abraham or Moses. I mean, th- this, is, this is not rocket surgery. You know, uh, uh, did Paul believe in the bodily resurrection? Yeah, I mean, simple questions that they could not answer, but they loved Jesus. And they would go out there and die for Jesus, but... Heaven forbid somebody come up to him and say, tell me about this Jesus that you love. Oftentimes they go into what we, we call Christianese and they start talking about, oh, well, he's my Lord, he's my Savior, he died for my sins. Whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. Why do I need a Savior? What is sin? Why does he have to die for my sin? I mean, those are the, those are the conversations that a, that a mature believer needs to be able to have. When we talk about Jesus as the Lamb of God, what do we mean? I don't know what happened between the first time that the baptizer made that announcement and the second time that he made that announcement, the very next day. But I would deeply love to know what conversation happened between John the baptizer and his disciples after he made that first statement to them, pointing at Jesus, saying, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Because look what happens next. The very next day, I'm looking at chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Well, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? 
they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John said uh, and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. Fascinating. One day they hear their teacher, John the Baptizer, saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the, sin of the world. And the next day when they're with him and John repeats it, they leave him. And they go and they follow Jesus. Love to know what the conversation was uh, around the dinner table the night before about who and what the Lamb of God means for the disciples. But it was significant enough that they leave John and go and follow Jesus. Has anybody ever wondered why the baptizer was not one of the twelve disciples? You would think he would have just joined right, right in there. John the baptizer fulfills a very, very unique role uh, in, in history as that, that transition, the last of the Old Testament prophets. He is, in every sense of the word, an Old Testament prophet. And what is the function of a prophet? But to draw people back into a right relationship with God. To tell them not what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. He had a very specific role, and he knew who he was, and he knew what he was called to do, and he knew who he was not. And later on, we'll see as as the popularity of Jesus begins to increase, and some of John's disciples start getting a little antsy about that, John will say, you know what? He must increase, I must decrease. Deal with it. Because he knew who he was and who he was not. So we have these two disciples that leave their teacher, uh, John the baptizer, and they follow Jesus. And and you got to love this. Jesus, what do you want? (laughs) Or I guess I could be kinder and say, what do you want? The voice inflection, how he asked it. And and what's going through their minds at that moment? They're they're talking with the Lamb of God. Maybe they're hoping for an invitation to spend some time with Him, to ask Him some questions, to learn a little bit more about Him. Their teacher has said to Him, to them, that this is someone you need to get to know. What do you want? Uh, where are you staying? Where are you staying? Tell me about the space that you occupy. And Jesus doesn't tell them. You know, if you, if you, if you go all the way down 
to the carpenter shop and, uh, and then take a left and go five blocks and then turn and go up the stairs. I'm, that's where I'm kind of hanging out. No, 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 no. He extends an invitation. And he says, come and see. Come and see. You know what I think the answer to the question truly was? What do you want? We want the kingdom of God. We want, we want to live in the kingdom of God. We want to see that become a reality in our lifetime. Can you help us to do that? Well, why don't you come and see? And they go with Jesus. And they spend, they spend the day with Him. They say it's, uh, it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And they probably spent the rest of that day and evening with Jesus. Another conversation that, that I, would, I would love to have had an ear, been a fly on the wall, whatever it was, to know the conversation that Jesus had with those two disciples. Because the very next day, we see, we see a huge leap in Andrew's understanding. Look at this. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, one of the two who, who heard what John had said and who followed Jesus, the first thing he did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ. That's a pretty big leap to go from understanding or beginning to wrestle with what it means that Jesus is the Lamb of God to now jumping to saying, hey, bro, we found the Messiah. What do we think? when we hear that word. And what was it that Andrew was thinking? Now, now the word Messiah is, is Hebrew. Greek, it's Christ. It literally means the chosen one. And we see this word used three different ways in the Old Testament. I think that Andrew was thinking about the teachings of Moses right before Moses leaves. Uh, and, and he says to the Israelites, he says, the Lord is going to raise up a prophet like me from among you. You'll remember when they asked John the baptizer, the religious leaders of the day, they asked him, are you the prophet? The prophet. That's the prophet that they were talking about. The one that Moses said would be raised up from among them. I think that's what Andrew thought. After spending time with Jesus, he goes from a a fundamental insight into what it means to be the Lamb of God to now be the Messiah. But as I said, there are three different meanings for that word in the Old Testament. Only one of them is prophet. The Messiah is also a reference to the high priest. And what does the high priest do? The high priest is the one that offers the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. But we also see that word used when Samuel anoints Saul and David as king over Israel. 
So I think that Andrew is talking above his pay grade at this point. When he says, come, we have found the Messiah. We have found the prophet. Not recognizing that Jesus, yes, he is that prophet. But he is also the high priest who will offer himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. He is also our king. Are you the king of the Jews? My kingdom is not of this world. Oh, so you are a king. Yes. So you're a follower of Jesus. What does that mean? So I remember asking in a, in a, in a, in a group of people, how many people here are Christians? And almost all the hands went up. And then I asked, how many people are disciples? And only a handful of hands went up. I find that interesting because the word Christian is only found in the Bible three times and twice it's pejorative. But over and over again, we read about disciples. And a disciple, an apprentice, is someone that spends time with the Master to learn what the Master has to teach. In this little section, verses 35 to 42, we see Jesus being called the Lamb of God. We see Him being called Rabbi, which is Teacher. And we see Him called the Messiah. But we also have His name, Jesus. Names were significant in the Old Testament. You'll remember that they didn't just pick that name out of a hat. That name carried meaning and significance. Jesus as Joshua, Yeshua, Emmanuel, God with us. So when someone says to a disciple, so you're a follower of Jesus, and I, and I'm hearing Dallas Willard tell the story of and when he was, before he passed away, you know, he was the head of the philosophy department at USC. Uh, you've, heard of, you've heard of that little school up in, yeah, uh, at USC. Uh, and one of his uh, colleagues uh, kind of challenged him one day and said, you can't seriously sit here as a, the head of the philosophy department and tell me that you follow Jesus. And Dallas said, do you have someone better? I mean, I mean I'm open. If, if, you could, if you could identify somebody that is more worthy of my devotion than Jesus, I'm in. But for now, yeah, I follow Jesus. What does that mean for us who are disciples? What does it mean for you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus how many of you, some of you remember, is there anybody here that remembers Snuffy Smith? Not the cartoon character, the guy that used to sing in the choir when I first got here. Remember Snuffy? Snuffy used to work in the thrift cottage as well. And my first Sunday here, he came up to me and he says, I'm the resident atheist, agnostic. I went, oh, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And he says, you know, uh, uh, Jesus Christ wasn't his name. I, I, I beg your pardon? 
He says, Jesus Christ, Christ, that's not his last name. I said, yeah, I, I, I know that. It's a title. You know that? Yeah. Okay. So it's a title, Jesus Christ. I mean, they didn't have last names for a while. I mean, or Peter would have been, uh, Paul Pankey preached a sermon about Peter, and he called him Rocky Johnson. Because Peter got his name changed from Simon to Peter. Peter means rock, and he was the son of John, John's son, Rocky Johnson. So it was a while before last names came around. If you, if you were to talk about Jesus, you would say Jesus of Nazareth. That, that, was, that was how you would identify him, Jesus from Nazareth. But when we say Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, uh, what I'm saying is that Jesus is my king in every sense of the word. Jesus is also my high priest because he was uniquely qualified to offer himself as an atonement for my sins. But he's also my prophet because in studying Jesus' ways, I learn what it means to relate to humanity How do I treat one another? And how do I truly worship the Lord? This is doing theology. This is going deep. This is taking a few verses and going, wow, there's a lot here. How does he go from being the Lamb of God to to being the Messiah in the minds of Andrew? Because Andrew spent time with him. Because Andrew spent time with him. How can we do any less? The Old Testament lesson this morning, who will go for us? And, and Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And the, and the, and the task was, was, was Herculean. I mean, listen to what he says. He says, here am I, send me. Go. And, and, the, and the Lord said, go and tell this to the people. Uh, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. It's like, oh my gosh. You're sending me to a people that don't want to hear what I have to say? Yep. And guess what? People still don't want to hear what we have to say about our faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, when we look at what's going on in the world today, I would submit to you that the only answer for humanity is the love of God that has been poured out upon us through Jesus Christ. Jesus uniquely situated to be that bridge between humanity and God inviting us into that relationship in a way that we could have never managed on our own. And and we need to be humbled by that truth. The one thing we can never afford to be as followers of Jesus is arrogant. We need to be humbled. We need to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks for the reason of the hope that is within us with gentleness. And respect. We've lost the art of conversation and persuasion. This one pastor had written in his Bible, weak point, yell louder. 
We have too many weak points, and we don't need to have weak points because there are good answers if we spend the time with Jesus. And that's what we are called to do. Spend time with Jesus. Learn from Him. How how much can we learn just in this first chapter of John? There's devotional reading and there's study reading. Devotionally, I could read the book of John in about an hour. I could read the first chapter of John in a couple of minutes. That's devotional reading. And I hope that you're engaged in devotional reading. But there is also studying the Word of God. And that's what, we, that's what we're doing here on Sunday mornings now in this deep dive going into some of these theological conversations. I want you to get a taste of what you can do on your own. The tools are abundantly available on the Internet. If you were to take any one of these words, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Rabbi, Jesus, Messiah, and type in there, what does this mean? You would have thousands of hits. Now, you've got to be careful. Which hit are you going to, which, which one are you going to clue on to? You know what? I'll put a couple of, of, uh, of links to some online Bible study tools that you can use. Because it is worth your time to go a little deeper in understanding who Jesus is. And you know, as your knowledge of him, and just a, a couple of things. Uh, in Philippians, I'm almost done here. In Philippians chapter 1, this is my prayer, Paul says to the Philippians, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. In knowledge and depth of insight. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, for this reason, since the day I heard about you, I have not stopped praying for you, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Second Peter ends with this verse, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forevermore. We are called as disciples to grow in our knowledge of who Jesus is. I want you to love Jesus. I want you to love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind. With all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And it is as we grow in the knowledge of our Lord that we'll find that we love Him all the more. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. We have to decide each and every day. And the world is filled with beautiful things. Houses, sanctuaries, new kitchens. Beautiful pieces of furniture, automobiles, behind that craftsmanship is a person that has the ability to bring it about. The world is in desperate need of disciples who know how to make disciples. Let us commit to follow Jesus 
to come and see. Spend the time. Get to know Him at a deeper level. That, my friends, is living in the kingdom of God here and now. Amen.